Something different today. I've done one of these response videos before. I did one all the way back when Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson actually spoke to Yaron Brook. So it was very, very interesting, that discussion. Today, I'm going to be talking about a recent debate that Douglas Murray had. And I did not disagree with the sentiments that Douglas was expressing, but I thought that some of them were worth refining and sharpening up in light of certain kinds of developments in philosophy, we might say, that have happened over the last few decades. Now, just before I begin the main part of this video, I wanted to emphasise the respect I have for Douglas Murray. I think he is one of the most courageous speakers of our age, willing to say things that other people won't say for fear of reputational damage, career-ending comments, loss of opportunity, loss of friends, loss of face, loss of respect. The list is long of reasons why people will not speak up on these issues that Douglas is willing to put his neck on the line for. So none of what I say here is at all a deep criticism of Douglas and the way in which he conducts himself. I, I'm a great admirer of Douglas in this respect. My purpose here is merely to try to refine, perhaps clarify, I think, what his underlying intent might be. And I'm not saying he subconsciously holds these ideas, but rather the ideas that he does hold need to be refined. And I think that they are good ideas coming from a somewhat deeper place than perhaps he can get across in a short interview or a short debate such as this one. Indeed, this format is not the greatest way in which to get across these ideas at times. Reading his book is the best way to try and understand Douglas's sentiments. And I think his, the sentiments expressed in his book, The Strange Death of Europe, will indeed mirror my own when looked at in sufficient detail. In discussions on migration, people moving across borders, the thing that is left out in many of these kind of discussions is the fact that it's not the fact that certain people are crossing the borders, but rather that ideas are crossing the borders. Now, one might think that this is splitting hairs, but it's not. Well, it's not splitting hairs because confusion about the difference between people crossing borders versus ideas crossing borders leads to certain conclusions which are, I would say, misdirected. Now, even in someone as wise and with whom I normally have furious agreement with, Douglas Murray, Douglas was quite animated in his concern about the sheer numbers. And in fact, this is a theme in his book, The Strange Death of Europe. He talked very much about the rate at which people were coming. A questioner in the audience posed what at first seemed to me like a silly question, posed the question about how the rate of change of things recently has continued to accelerate across all areas. And, for example, we all know that technology, for example, is causing the rate of change in culture and in society to accelerate. And so he wondered, how is it any different if the sheer number of migrants crossing borders is any different to that? And one to Douglas, if, if uh, there was a theme earlier amongst the rate of change, um, uh, you raise the point of the 5% in the UK in the, with the Normans. Is it not just changing that everything's changing really quickly nowadays? And so if there's a lot of change with immigration, 
uh, we've got smartphones now and we didn't have that 20 years ago. So it's, uh, it all washes out, all comes out in the wash. Uh, fine. Let me answer. Yes, that's a very interesting question. It is possible. We, we do, of course, live in in a time of extraordinary change, the technological change that, that the questioner just rightly referred to, is perhaps the most fundamental of all in the era that's gone unaddressed this evening, uh, the extraordinary benefits and negatives of living in an era where we all have access to all of the information in the world uh, at the tap of a finger. It's an enormous blessing and uh, it brings a lot of problems. And uh, yes, there is, a, there is an extent to which you can say that. I would say that, however, um, churn of populations, that is significant population change, is one of the most significant changes. We, we, we know this and we talk about it historically uh, when um, uh, large movements of people happen in history. We, we uh, who write about history reflect on them still. Uh, there are things like the Huguenot movement in uh, the 17th century to my own country, which is still talked about. Uh, and that was a relatively small movement of people, but it, it's mentioned uh, because it was it was it was quite an important thing at the time, albeit only 50,000 people then. So it's true that these things have all sped up. It's true that the, the, the question of migration, where we haven't really got onto it tonight at all, but but the question of migration is a complex one. It isn't simply something like open borders versus right-wing populists. It is one that, as I, I say in the, in the Strange Death of Europe, goes down the heart of each one of us, as well as down the heart of our society. It's an exceptionally complex question. But as I say, I go back to this point that, that even with everything else that's changing in the world, the, uh, the uh, population change uh, is the most long-lasting such change. Because people are not all the same, they don't all bring the same ideas, they don't bring the same culture, they don't bring the same religions or anything else. And, and there are upsides to that and downsides to that. As I said earlier, you can deprecate it or praise it, but most of us think that it's a, it's a somewhat mixed bag. Douglas was right to pause at this and to be concerned that there's a qualitative difference between the two, between technological change in a society on one hand and cultural change upon the other. Here's the difference. There really is a difference between cultures who have traditions that remain the same over time and cultures that have traditions that protect change over time or indeed encourage change over time. This is one of the great dichotomies that David Deutsch has explained in the beginning of Infinity. There are societies, the overwhelming majority of which have existed throughout history, that we might call static societies. Societies that resist change, or that change so little that during any one person's lifetime, very little difference can be told from one day to the next, or one year to the next. But our society is something different. It is not a static society. It is something called a dynamic society in David Deutsch's nomenclature. And a dynamic society is one in which allows for progress, which is stable over time. That great changes can occur, and yet the society remains stable. What's the difference? One of the differences is that traditionally, if you like, Tradition is about maintaining the status quo. One mechanism a society has, or a culture has, for maintaining the status quo is to ensure that the existing practices and the existing ideas and behaviours in that society are not criticised. 
or insofar as they are criticised, they are criticised in such a way that it forces them to remain in place in the form they have, or rather, insofar as criticism exists in such societies, that our creative capacity for changing our ideas exists in static societies, that what that ability to criticise is used for is to criticise existing structures such that they are entrenched ever more deeply, that the behaviours are adhered to ever better. This is how one shows their virtue in such societies. Consider any ancient religious society. In any ancient religious society, the people there had much the same brains as we do, similar kinds of minds to the extent that they were creative and they could be critical. But now, if there are rituals they need to enact, if they're in a static society, the ritual itself will change very little. But in order to show your virtue in such a society, in order to show your worth, you will defer to the ritual in ever better ways, in ever more strict and disciplined ways. That's how you will use your creativity and show that you're a virtuous person. This is the hallmark of many static societies, that the creative ability of our minds is not used to create something new, but to keep in place the existing practices. This is the sign of a static society, a society which rejects criticism of existing practices and uses it instead to ever more vigorously defend the existing practices. Now, the Enlightenment had perhaps, in David Deutsch's view, the defining characteristic of creating a tradition, not of maintaining the status quo, not of trying to adhere to present practices ever more closely, but rather enabling criticism to flourish across all areas of society, to promote, in his words, a tradition of criticism. And traditions of criticism mean that it becomes safe to criticise any idea, behaviour or practice within that society. And so now we come to present day. And when we are concerned about people crossing borders, the target of our concerns is misdirected. What we're actually concerned about is the ideas that cross borders. And one kind of idea in particular, the idea that says you should not criticise this idea, that idea, this practice, that practice. Because when that kind of idea starts to gain a foothold in a society, then it spreads across the entire society through all ideas. It becomes what's called an anti-rational meme. An anti-rational meme is an idea, essentially, that holds itself immune from criticism. We want to be able to improve all ideas. We want to improve all of our behaviours, the practices, the cultural practices we have in our society. But that becomes increasingly difficult to do the more that people think they're not permitted to criticise certain ideas. It doesn't matter the sheer number of people that cross borders. And the traditions of Great Britain, for example, recognise this. And recently, the politicians there made the excellent decision to allow almost anyone, not anyone, but almost anyone from Hong Kong who wished to migrate to the United Kingdom to come. Now, 
these cultures are different in many ways. Different language, different cuisine, different sporting interests and cultural interests. But there is one fundamental similarity between the two cultures, Great Britain and Hong Kong. And that is a tradition of criticism. In Hong Kong, you are free, until recently you were free, to criticise the government, to criticise cultural practices, to criticise ideas, without fear of being imprisoned, without fear of violence. But now things have changed. The Chinese government has cracked down on the freedom-loving people of Hong Kong. And quite rightly, Britain has said, people of Hong Kong, please come. You're free to come. And I think Australia has done the same. And quite right too. And should hundreds of thousands of people from Hong Kong wish to come to either of our countries, we should allow them to do so. Because we share a belief in freedom. We share a culture of criticism, a tradition of understanding what criticism is about. Uh, there are things like the Huguenot movement in uh, the 17th century to my own country, which is still talked about. Uh, and that was a relatively small movement of people. But it, it's mentioned uh, because it was, it, was, it was quite an important thing at the time, albeit only 50,000 people then. OK, so there we have Douglas talking about the Huguenots. Now, is the 50,000 number a big number? Well... Compared to today, it's not. And this is Douglas's worry, and this is Douglas's concern, that we still talk about, as in British people still talk about, this movement of Huguenots. Now, the Huguenots were a religious group. They are a religious group from France who moved from continental Europe to Great Britain. And just reading from the Wikipedia article, it says, London financed the emigration of many to England and its colonies around 1700. Some 40 to 50,000 settled in England, mostly in towns near the sea and in southern districts, with the largest concentration in London, where they constituted about 5% of the population in 1700. Okay, so should we be concerned that given that back then, the year 1700, 50,000 Huguenots, foreigners, moved from Europe to Great Britain, changing to some extent the culture of England at the time. But today, we don't have tens of thousands, rather we have hundreds of thousands. Are the numbers a concern? Now, we have certain people that say, open borders is the way to go. Certain people on my side of the ledger to some extent, who believe in minimal government, now, there is a wrinkle in this idea that government has either very little place or perhaps even no place in determining who can come into a country. These are very minority views, that there should be no borders whatsoever. But let's consider exactly why a border is necessary. Once more, it comes down to the ideas, not the numbers. The numbers could be in their millions, Numbers that perhaps Douglas would object to. I come back to the point that it can't just be numbers. What we're aiming to protect our societies from is not sheer numbers of foreign people. It is a certain kind of idea. Anti-rational ideas. Ideas that refuse to allow themselves to be changed. 
and indeed protect other bad ideas from being changed because they disable the critical faculties of their holders. This is what an anti-rational meme is. Anti-rational memes, for example, include something like, you must not criticise my God or anything my God has said in their holy book, and if you do, we will kill you for it. Now, this kind of idea, which is well subscribed to by some people, or an idea similar to this, that if you desecrate, criticise, ridicule certain holy books, then the penalty for that is death. This has a chilling effect, not merely upon talking about that holy book, not merely upon talking about that God or that religion, but it causes people to be extremely concerned about talking about anything to, that might have any point of contact with that religion or with that holy book. And so anti-rational memes like this that say you must not criticise this thing also cause other people who might be fearful to not criticise a whole bunch of other things as well for fear they could make a mistake according to that religion, according to that set of anti-rational ideas. I'm not saying that all of religion consists of anti-rational ideas, not by a long shot. Much of religion instantiates important inexplicit knowledge that helps to maintain a stable society over time and in fact, in certain traditions, enables us to have a tradition of criticism. It also provides for that. That's a separate issue. But we must recognise that there do exist traditions out there that consist in large part at the present time, as they have in the past, of anti-rational memes. These are the ones that we want to protect our societies from. We want to protect our own minds from these things. We can't be perfectly successful at that. Everyone is walking around with anti-rational memes of their own making, of their education that they were brought up with. It is very difficult to identify them all. But because we know the dangers of anti-rational memes, they're the things that cause people personal pain in their own life. They're the things that cause damage to a society. They're the things that slow down progress in a society. We have enough of them already. We don't want to go importing even more of them. And so it isn't about the numbers of people. After all, we could have vast numbers of people coming from the United States to Great Britain or vice versa. There'd be very little cultural difference there. And as I said earlier, you can have vast numbers of people coming from Hong Kong, for example, to the United Kingdom. And it wouldn't be a danger to the United Kingdom. But can there be ideas that are a danger to the United Kingdom? Absolutely. Anyone who comes with the idea that the democratic institutions of the United Kingdom are evil and that should be torn down, replaced with a theocracy, say, then that idea is a danger. And anyone who holds that idea should not be permitted entry into the country. Now, that seems like a strong statement, but it has absolutely nothing to do with who the person is, what culture they're from. Nothing to do with that. It has to do with their personal ideas. They can change their ideas, but they need to change their ideas before they come into a tradition of criticism, into a culture which respects criticism. And if the more of those ideas that we have, individual instantiations of those ideas, people who hold those ideas, 
the more difficult it is to maintain that tradition of criticism and therefore to maintain the democratic institutions and to maintain the other institutions that enable us to remain stable despite rapid progress. And that's what we want, rapid progress. And any time we have vast numbers of people with bad ideas, we slow down the rate of progress. People like to call. People like to call our willingness to have open borders, let's say, progressive. But in fact, it's exactly the opposite. It can cause regression. It can cause a society to become concerned about criticizing certain ideas, a society to become more fearful, more violent, because more and more people within that society refuse to allow criticism. Great Britain has a long-standing tradition of criticism, of people standing literally on soapboxes, in Speaker's Corner, in Hyde Park, standing up and delivering speeches to anyone who will listen. And it wouldn't matter how crazy these ideas sound. It wouldn't matter how ridiculous these ideas sound. People were willing to listen and have always been willing to listen. But now we know, we know that if you were to stand on one of those soapboxes in Hyde Park, in Speaker's Corner, there would be certain things that you could say that could cause you to be murdered in London. We know this. We saw this recently in France that there are certain ideas that you can espouse in France which will cause you to be killed. This is wrong. Now, it is not due to the sheer number of people immigrating into France. That's not the issue. It's because a certain kind of idea has been allowed to come across those borders in greater and greater numbers. And it's the ideas that we have to stop. And once they're there, and they're there now, they have to be counted. They have to be changed. These people that hold these ideas are a danger to that society. They're not a danger to the static societies from which they came or, a, or the static societies where those ideas are promoted, those, where those ideas maintain the stasis of those static societies. They're not a danger there. And that's why they would be better suited in those static societies. And if they change their minds, and think that it's fine to criticise everything, then they've taken on board the most important element of being in a society like ours. The willingness to criticise any idea at all, and the willingness to have any of your ideas criticised at all. But so long as they hold on to an idea that says you cannot criticise X, where X is anything at all, then they need to remain in a static society, because that is the key feature of a static society. And it wouldn't matter if there were two of those people or two million of those people. It's too many. On the other hand, if the person believes that anything can be said, more or less, within reason, we know what we're talking about when we talk about free speech, that if you are able to criticise, it's the key feature of, of free speech, by the way. Free speech means you're free to criticise anything at all. Okay? I think that's missed a lot in the free speech debate as well. It's like, oh, should you be allowed to yell fire in a crowded theatre? Okay, yes, if the theatre is on fire. Should you be allowed to call for violence? Okay, these things are edge case concerns about free speech. Really what we're interested in is, should you be allowed to criticise anything at all? 
That's the key part. Should you be allowed to criticize any religion at all? Now, if the answer to that at any point is no, that idea has no place in a society which is governed by a tradition of criticism, because the tradition of criticism is about criticizing anything that you like. And the reason for this is it enables faster and faster progress. The only way to identify flaws and failures, deficiencies in ideas, the ways in which we can improve things is via criticism and then finding out where the problems are so that we can then create new solutions. It isn't simply something like open borders versus right-wing populists. It is one that, as I, I say in the in Strange Death of Europe, goes down the heart of each one of us as well as down the heart of our society. It's an exceptionally complex question. So Douglas says it's a question that goes down the heart of each one of us as well as the heart of our societies. And I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. But I don't know that he identifies precisely what that thing is that goes down the heart of us and our societies. What goes down the heart of us is that distinction between a person who holds the idea that you are free to criticize any idea or not. And in our societies, whether you're a static or a dynamic society, whether you endorse being in a static or dynamic society, and that is about whether or not you have this tradition of criticism, this willingness to embrace the ability to improve any idea no matter what it is, not holding immune certain ideas, certain books, certain supernatural beliefs as being unable in principle to be improved because it's perfect in some way, or that you are the possessor of the ultimate and only interpretation of those ideas. As soon as you start saying you may not criticize, you may not insult, you may not make fun of, you may not draw certain things, then you are not a part of this society, of this culture, of criticism, this tradition of criticism, this way in which we can ensure the improvement gradually, incrementally, over time of our societies and of our institutions, of ensuring that progress happens as fast as possible. And yet, in our societies, despite the rapid change, the rapid progress, we remain stable because the institutions we have are able to course correct when we make a mistake, when the criticism is misdirected, when the new idea is a bad idea, then those institutions are able to course correct and enable us to continue to make rapid progress over time. And despite, despite that rapid progress, we remain stable. This is the tradition that we've had. And we can look to places like the United Kingdom especially, that has remained relatively stable for the longest period of time, and the United States that has remained relatively stable for the longest period of time. There have not been, modulo a few exceptions over the years, huge revolutions. There haven't been huge changes in the way in which government operates, for example. And so these are the places that we wish to preserve, because we don't know all the reasons why these institutions, these governments, these nations remain stable over time. We can look at all the failed states around the world and we can point to the reasons why they fail. One of the reasons why they fail is specifically for what I've been talking about. They have anti-democratic institutions and once you have an anti-democratic institution by Popper's lights, by the idea that you, the only way of removing the leader is through violence because you have a tyrannical government because you're not able to vote out the leaders. 
then once you have that kind of thing in place, then you will get violence. You will get instability. And if you have cultures or traditions or governments that say you cannot criticise me, or you cannot criticise this tenant, this idea, this law, then indeed you will ultimately end up with violence because the revolution will come. The revolution, the overthrow of the enlightenment of the Western tradition, of Western democracies, has not happened. And in my opinion, will not happen because the institutions are robust enough to ensure that we can course correct in time. And the overwhelming majority of people still endorse this idea that anything can be criticised. Now, I'm not sure that things couldn't go south completely. I'm not sure that a majority eventually won't think that there are certain ideas in our society that you cannot criticise. If that happens, then hope fades. Then we're in trouble. At the moment, we're not there. I don't think we're there by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's a lot of, as David Deutsch has observed as well, a lot of hyperbole going on out there. There's a lot of people saying that this is the end times, that this is late capitalism, that the institutions of the United States, for example, are ripe for being removed, that uh, Donald Trump is the, a sign of the apocalypse, that the huge migration that's happening in Europe is a sign of the death of Europe. And although I understand a lot of what Douglas Murray has to say on this, I don't agree with the ultimate conclusion. I don't think he ultimately does conclude this. He has optimistic passages in his book, by the way. So uh, I'm wrong to say that he is, that the title is actually telling you the conclusion. There is not going to be a death of Europe. There will be an evolution of Europe. Now, whether or not in the interim, places like Europe go down a road which is more towards static societies, where you are less and less able to criticise certain ideas. And perhaps people are elected who refuse to allow themselves to be criticised. Whether or not we go down that road, or whether or not we relearn to appreciate and to have great gratitude for the tradition that we've inherited, namely a tradition of criticism, is yet to be seen. But I'm hopeful. So I hope you uh, enjoyed that. Um, this is not meant to be a criticism of Douglas Murray. This is a reflection upon Douglas Murray. I have great respect for Douglas, but I do think that in any of these conversations, it is rarely mentioned that the key factor that we're interested in using our borders for is keeping out certain ideas. When we focus on keeping out particular people, then the accusations begin. But it's not racist, prejudiced, or discriminatory to say that certain ideas should be left at our gates, that they cannot be permitted to come in, that we have enough bad ideas here of our own and we do not need to bring in more bad ideas. We're trying to improve our societies. Everyone comes with bad ideas. Everyone has bad ideas. But there are certain bad ideas that are so beyond the pale that we cannot afford to allow them to gain a foothold in the society that we have. Thanks for that. If you enjoyed this, then you can find me on Patreon, um, TalkCast or Brett Hall. Thanks very much for any support. Bye-bye.